Welcome to the Wrestling Philosophy Show, where we discuss unique perspectives and beliefs on the sport of wrestling. Give us a follow or subscribe on various social media platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. What's going on, Tanner? How you doing today? Doing great, brother. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we've been talking for a few weeks, right? Trying to connect and uh, been talking ideas and over the last few weeks, I'm very, very glad we're connected now. You know, definitely uh, you have a wealth of knowledge on the sport and um, I'm looking forward to dig into this. So should be, for, a, should be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for our listeners, uh, can you provide a little bit of background on your wrestling and your upbringing in the sport? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I was basically born onto a wrestling mat. Um, my dad was a longtime high school coach in North Carolina. Um, Laney High School down there. Um, so I, I mean, I, I've known wrestling since I, you know, came out of my mom's womb. Um, I uh, I wrestled at VMI uh, for a year under John Trudgeon and Chris Strekowitz, um, and got into coaching in 2011 up here in Northern Virginia, and uh, took over Fairfax High School in 2015 as the head coach. Founded Nova Wrestling Club in 2015, and um, just been an avalanche from there okay so what was the inspiration or thought process behind nova wrestling um i it was defying the status quo in some ways um i had no experience with club building whatsoever and no experience obviously as a head coach i just finished year one um i think that wrestling what i observed that we don't evolve at a very quick rate. We do things in a very status quo kind of way, um, kind of across the board. Um, I'm not the, not the highest level technician, but I can see status quo stuff when I see it. And I was like, we can, uh, we can do things a little differently. And in terms of development, in terms of longevity, um, in terms of seeing kids for what they can be and not necessarily what they are. You know, you have a kid walk in the room and they don't look like much. They don't know anything. Um, they're terrible. They're not an athlete. They haven't hit puberty yet. They can't coordinate. Maybe they're not very tough. Maybe they don't want to be there, right? Some kids don't want to really be there, right? I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of variables there. And I think that one of the things that we've done really well over the last six years is – see what kids can be and not what they are and really facilitate that developmental track to help them be the best possible wrestler they can be and keeping them in the sport for the long term. I mean, our, our sport is in crisis mode right now um, in terms of the drop-off between middle school and high school. I mean, that's evidenced by Pennsylvania having to drop a weight class. They can't fill high school wrestling teams. But if you go to any youth, tournament and PA on the weekends. I mean, you got 500 kids in there It's slammed, uh, but they, but they can't feel high school teams. You know, what's, what's going on there. The reality is, is we're not translating our youth numbers to high school and USA wrestling's obviously noticed that. I mean, they've obviously seen, they look, this is a huge problem for the sustainability of our sport. We've got to do something about it. Mike Clayton's done a great job. I think of, 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 uh, him and the, the higher ups and powers that be at USA wrestling with the athlete development model 
in coaches education. I think the coaches education that USA wrestling is putting out right now is, is first class. So all of our coaches run the gauntlet, whether it's the 3d coaching course or anything that's, that's provided uh, by USA wrestling really believe in that. And um, it's helped our coaches become more competent, um, become more aware of how to, of each kid's, you know, developmental trajectory and that, it really is a process and that we need to run the marathon and not the sprint. Right. Right. Coach green. And I talked in an earlier episode of, you know, he tells his, you know, wrestlers, they need to be involved in the sport in some way for a lifetime. Right. And you know that I think um, wrestling is one of those sports you can be involved in different ways. You know, you don't have to, you know, we don't go pick up and wrestle you know, <laughs> when we're retired. Right. But you can be involved in different ways. Um, you follow, you know, you mentioned USA wrestling and Nova. Um, do you have some stories of, you know, how wrestling was that vehicle for some athletes, uh, in your program? Yeah, I think in year three, um, we started seeing just some, you know, some solid development and we were really, uh, you know, we're, we're intimately involved in our kids' lives across the board. So we know them, we know their families, we're intimately involved in their life. So we're naturally, right, if we are, naturally we're going to be involved in where they go after high school. What are they going to do? We want to make sure they're in good hands. We want to make sure that they're in a good place. We want to make sure that they're continuing that upward trajectory, whether wrestling's in the picture or not. It just so happened that we were developing some kids that wrestling was in the picture. And I really started to just dive head first into the college recruiting process. And the post-secondary placement process, college admissions process, the whole nine yards and just kind of consumed, got consumed with it. And we started placing kids. We started, obviously, our network with college coaches, whether it's Nate Cheer that you talked about at WNL or, I mean, uh, uh, the Division Three network is phenomenal. Right. Um, and we, our network there just blew up. And I think we realized that, wow, if a kid really wants to wrestle in college, whether it's like club or whatever, I mean, these levels are freaking tough, man. They don't freaking, people say whatever they want about Division three wrestling. Right. It's freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Division three wrestling is legit. And it's a um, NAI, yeah, it's legit. And uh, the um, – so we started seeing – but, you know, like these coaches are, are interested in these kids – for what they can be, I've, I've, and, and not only that, but some of these Division three institutions academically are ridiculous. I mean, they're <laughs> Ivy League schools, basically. And you can go there, and you can wrestle for four years and basically get an Ivy League education and sometimes get a, get a slot. So I'm learning all of these things, and I'm like, wow, like wrestling actually is a strategic advantage in the admissions process. Not necessarily because an admissions officer sees wrestling and says, oh, wow, this person's a wrestler. They must be this. They must be that. I don't really think admissions officers probably think like that unless they're a wrestler and know the sport. But the coaches, on the other hand, can leverage this. Mm -hmm. And if they really want the kid, the holistic nature of the kid, and that's what I've seen, um, if they do, sometimes they can slot them. we've seen that at a couple in, in several ways, but I mean, there's, I mean, in six years, having the number of stories that we have of kids that are like, coach, I love the sport. I freaking love it. I, I can't imagine my life in college without it. Mm-hmm. 
what are my options? I really want to do this. And some of them are really sound academically and some of them are not very sound academically. But the reality that we've learned is that wrestling does provide the broadest degree of opportunity to participate in college, to do it in college. So to your question specifically, yeah, I think there's two stories um, that just really are phenomenal. And, and one of them is a kid named Elliot Lee. Okay. He never he never qualified for the Virginia State Tournament. Should have, didn't. Um, he was he wrestled, uh, you know, 10 months out of the year. He loved the sport, started really late, started mm -hmm. his sophomore year. OK. Um, and but the kid had like a 4.5 GPA. Nice. He was an athlete uh, and just loved it. He was, a, he was a hard worker, lived a great lifestyle, um, just a solid coachable kid. And I think that's something that we've learned that if a kid is truly coachable, like they truly are coachable and you can't fake coachability. Right. Like that's not something you can fake. You, you're either we're on the track to becoming coachable, you know, like that's not something you can lie about. Correct. And it, it almost comes across an uncoachable kid. You can almost sense that in a conversation with them because their ego is just mm -hmm. clouding everything, which is an immediate turnoff. And it's something that a lot of kids don't understand as they're talking to coaches, like they coaches, coaches pick up on these nuances. Right. Like, and he, uh, he was a very, uh, you know, active, just well-rounded kid, great lifestyle, incredibly coachable, love the sport, hungry. And uh, I told his parents, I said, you know, we need to look at Hopkins. I love the coach there, Keith Norris. He runs a great program. He's a three-dimensional coach. Um, he's always leveling up, had a lot. He's, he's just a phenomenal person. I said, that's applied to Hopkins. They said, no, we want to go to UVA. We want to go to Virginia Tech. And I said, look, he's a cookie-cutter kid there. Right. He's a cookie-cutter kid. You know, he's did the same mission trip experience he's got the same you know uh because at those schools they don't look at the nuances of of your admissions like they don't look at the nuances of your package they look at your test scores your class placement and and look man if you don't line up there and especially if you know this kid was an asian kid it's even a little harder for him so he doesn't get into uva he doesn't get into virginia tech but he gets into johns hopkins and the reason why he got into Johns Hopkins was because we put him in front of Coach Norris. Coach Norris loved the kid and was like, I freaking love this kid. Mm -hmm. I absolutely want this kid a part of my team. He's got, all the tan he's got all the variables here, the ingredients, for me to be able to develop him at the Division three level into a solid competitive kid. And, of course, he slots him. So he slots him in Hopkins. Kid gets a slot. Um. And I tell people that story, like, he didn't get into UVA, he didn't get into Tech, but he got into Johns Hopkins, which is an exponentially better institution because of wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's, there's several more, but probably the one that's just most mind-boggling that people just look at me. And, and I, I think these kids are obviously, like, you know, unique to some extent. But I think what makes them unique isn't so much their um, – I think they just love wrestling. Like right. They really love it. Right. Their intrinsic motivation to be great in this sport or just what they get out of it, like it is that's what makes them unique. But there's kids like that all across the country. Mm -hmm. um, this, the, the last one here, I, I, I want to note this kid named Francisco Vasquez, and okay. he started his sophomore year too. He, he didn't win a match, 
No, he started as a freshman, but he didn't win a match until his junior year. And I think he went like 500. Um, he, you know, he got the, got the bug, transit motivation kicks in, which is, as we all know, it's the number one variable to, to in, number one indicator for success in our sport is intrinsic motivation. And uh, he ends up making it the blood rounds, the state tournament, which was like, he finished last in the district and somehow made it through the blood rounds of states. Awesome. Yeah. So Bluefield, it's an NAI school that recently started up with Jason Welty out in the Western part of Virginia. Jason's an amazing guy, former high school wrestling coach, really understands kids um, and really is invested in them for who they are as a person. And uh, he was like, look, I love this kid. He's, he's not very good right now, but I really love him. Like, I think, I think I can get him good. And I said, he's going to do whatever you tell him to do. You know, he's going to, he's, you know, he, he mind you, this kid has failed his junior year of high school. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, he has failed his junior year of high school. So Welty says, look, I'm going to give him some money. And I'm like, awesome. You can give him a little bit of money his freshman year. He goes in and long and short of it is this. He's absolutely blossomed at Bluefield under Jason. But what has happened is this. He's been on the Dean's list every semester. And now he's ranked top 20 in the country. Going from failing to a dean's list. That's that's an awesome story. Found you know, his niche, right? It, so I think what we saw here is as this was being built out organically, I was like, you know, look, we, you know, we started getting contacted by other people in the state, people outside of the club who were like, hey, look, you know, can you work with my kid on this? Can you like can you help us? And of course, I, I was like, yeah, of course. And then it got to a point where people were reaching out to me from like out of state. And I'm never going to tell the kid no, but it got to a point where it just became too overwhelming and I had to basically monetize it. Gotcha. No, and that's, and then, then you can, if you monetize, you can focus more energy on it, right? You have more resources. Um, yeah. What was the biggest, I guess, void? Was it the education for the parents? Um, you know, I know I was a first generation we talked wrestling being a, a vehicle. You know, I was the oldest of, of four boys. My parents didn't go to college. Ended up going to Kent State, you know. Um, so it was new for my parents, right? Is that the biggest void there is in the sport, you think, when these kids maybe the first time in the family going to college? Or I guess with Nova, what do you think is what you're doing? You know, what's the biggest impact you're making um, at what level, I guess? I think the biggest void is, I think it's, it's actually on two different sides of the spectrum. I think on one spectrum, you have kids like Francisco or Elliot or, you know, any number of kids that we've helped, whether they're in Nova or not, but that kids in other clubs in the area or outside of the state, you know, we just helped the kid get a slotted at VMI. Um, I mean, it, it's, I think it's two things. One, either the kid doesn't, realize what options are available and their parents are like I don't know what options are available and they just don't know where to start so they're like I don't know there's a knowledge gap there and they're like right. oh my god I don't know where to go what to do I don't know who to reach out to I don't even know where to start right mm -hmm. or it's on the other side of the spectrum where you have these parents who have over unreasonable expectations that their expectations actually don't align with reality and that's, I'm not saying that's their fault, right? Like, I think they're just being parents. And I think that parents 
see I think that I, I'm not a parent, you right. know, but okay. the, but parents, especially the ones that are just absolutely all in with wrestling, that have done all the tournaments, they've ran the gauntlets, they've they've invested the money, they've they're they're in it, they're in it, they're in it just as much, if not more than their kid is, then they're like D one or bus, man. Right. I mean, they have tunnel like, vision of they go to this school and they don't even know what academics they offer, probably, right? They just want to be there for us. I, right? I had a kid his dad reached out to me and this kid was a solid kid. He's a four year, 25 pounder. And his dad, he's actually wrestling uh, for, for Nate okay. um, at WNL. He's a great, he's a freaking hammer. The kid's good. Really good. He's at WNL right now. Wrestling with Nate. He's an awesome kid. And his dad, uh, he's a, he's a great guy. Awesome guy. We were in, in uh, Indiana for folks out. And he's like, I don't understand why, you know, Garland's not reaching out to me. Steve Garland's reaching out to me at UVA. Mind you, this kid's a four-year 125-pounder, which makes him exponentially more marketable. Right, 100%. Um, or Tony Roby. Like, I don't get it. My kids won X amount of Virginia State titles. He finished X at, at NHSCA, dual, NHSCA Nationals. You know, what's going on? You know, I, I would expect that I would be getting contacted by, like, some of these by, – by Steve and some of these people. And the – what <laughs> the division one and it's, you know you know this but it seems like parents the, the most parents don't the level right now of division one wrestling is just beyond anything we've ever seen before right and the kids that garland and roby and beasley and have on their radars that they're recruiting they're not with like it's the there's the level it, the levels are just they're right. abnormal right right and so i think that answer the question it's either they don't understand they 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 like just they have no idea where to start or their expectations are misplaced and by right. no fault of their own like i'm not sitting here crapping on on right. that at all but that's part of what i do with village coaching is i help the parents calibrate appropriate expectations for post-secondary placement like if the kid's a d1 or bust kid and they're like look i i i it's d1 or nothing mm -hmm. but they're not a division one caliber kid they're probably not going to make it right. like um and sometimes i don't know i mean there's so many variables well, involved with that parents don't realize they might have money tied up in a 125 already right and they're not going to pay two 125s to come in and you know put yeah. money you know expend a scholarship or a portion or whatever it may be for a kid that's going to be sitting on the bench or you know they yeah. may be looking at a kid that's a year behind right you know a junior that instead there's a lot of variables and um then the parents i think need to open their eyes too like like i said uh wrestling's a vehicle right they're going there for academics what what's the school offering academically what are you what are you going to be studying um mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a lot more variables and that, that's pretty cool so you started it as nova now it's more of a uh you know it's monetized it's a it's a, it's a business it's village coaching um how, how many years are you into that and um you know what what are some of the states you've been working with on that yeah so i mean nova's still you know operating as nova okay. it's a, okay. you know, full it full wrestling club from kids that are five years old all the way to guys competing at is the senior level based out of fairfax then or where mm -hmm. is that okay yeah. is that where you're where yeah, you at yeah. now? Are you at, where, where are we meeting you at here now 
Oh, I'm actually in Wegmans right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 <laughs> um, um, I, uh, the school shut down today. So, okay. um, I, uh, yeah. So with, with Nova, it's a full, you know, in, it's a full spectrum club, private entity, okay. 501c3. And as we were providing that service to Nova, I said, look, I need, I need to create village coaching as an independent entity and, you know, essentially like monetize it individually. And so that's what I did. And, and we, we were working with kids in Georgia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, um, obviously Virginia, um, and just, uh, you know, working with their parents and basically how it works is we schedule, like if parents are interested, they just schedule a, a, uh, you know, a consult consultation call. It's like a free hour. We talk, get to know the kid. And then if they're like, Hey, well, there's different packages available. And I got to I do a lot of transcript evaluation. Um, a lot of, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of moving parts with that, especially now with COVID, uh, which is right. absolutely, you know, uh, made things more challenging and they're already challenging, but mm -hmm. it's made them more challenging. Well, is there one thing you've learned uh, from COVID as a coach? Like in looking back, you know, you know, obviously we're how many months in, but is there something you've kind of, you've learned? Like from the college recruiting process or from anything, just the, the college anything? or from your high school, anything that you've kind of like, you know, back in March, you're like, man, I thought it was this. And now you're like looking back, like, Oh, it's this. Um, this sounds cliche, but I think that there was a lot of people, a lot of people, including myself and my staff, you know, who initially we kind of looked at this and our first, I admit this, our first inclination was, oh my God, you know, we're going to get behind, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to like, you know, especially when the club shut down during the spring, I mean, mm -hmm. we were like, oh my God, you know, we're losing a whole spring, uh, session. Right. And I think our probably a, a, as we saw the negative effects start to start, start to take place. I think we took a step back and we're like, look, uh, right now our relationships with these kids and our ability to build, you know, building relationships during this time and just supporting kids during this time, loving them during this time, um, listening to understand them, discovering during this time are far more important right now than, uh, than some, and technique or you know refining and 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 that kind of stuff you know um and then I mean, we're back fully now i mean things are but just the importance of that relationship and um you know that multi-dimensional approach to coaching that, that i think we do well right i've been talking to coaches here in ohio you know at the at the at all levels really yeah at my high school uh, out you know throughout the state but it's it's almost a good year for those kids not sure if, it, if they want to try it this would be a great year because there's not a lot of competition you know it's a, shies a lot of especially older kids oh I, I haven't I'm you know in eighth grade or I'm a sophomore I'm too late to start these kids have so much experience well just come try it out you don't know if you like it until you try it and there's no pressure to compete right because competition mm -hmm. is looking different this year right I don't know that's some of the conversations that we've been having up here is you know try it try it out you know what what you know get out, be active, be healthy. Um, yeah. you know, that's, a, that's something, you know, back in March, I, I wouldn't have thought here we are in December, but uh, viewing, viewing it that way. Um, yeah. I talked with coach Shear and coach Yetzer on Virginia wrestling, I guess at all levels, 
Uh, where do you see opportunities for Virginia wrestling? Um, we know it's a long game as far as a sport, um, you know, and things change slowly, you know, culturally. Um, what are you, where do you see some opportunities in the sport in Virginia wrestling? One of the, the biggest opportunities we have right now is the fact that we have so many college programs here in the state. That's, That's huge. Right. And how many um, do you have? I'm not, I don't know. Do you know off the top? Of I, I, sh I should be able to give you a number on this. It's a hell of a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Lot. That's awesome. It's a lot. And and, and, and at all levels, mm -hmm. from NAIO all the way up to D1. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's huge. And I think, I mean, first of all, I think Jack Harcourt and Bill Swink um, are, are doing a great job with FAWA, especially with really pushing the coach's education piece. But I think a unique opportunity we have here in the state, given the number of college programs that we have, is the potential to really, uh, one, build relationships with these college coaches and get kind of cycle their athletes, and plug them in, provided they stay in the state of Virginia, mm -hmm. plug them in, you know, to different parts of the state to, to help facilitate higher level development. But two, I think the long game, like you said, I mean, this is a marathon. It's not going to happen overnight. But the more kids that we in the state of Virginia send to compete at the next level in college, whether it's in state or out of state. But again, there's a lot of opportunities in state. That if they feel indebted to the sport of wrestling, they will come back and contribute to it in some way. Whether it's um, financially, uh, developmentally, whether it's just any sort of support. But getting kids, I think the longer that they're in the sport, the more they're going to take, the more they're going to internalize and learn the lessons that our sport can uniquely teach. If we believe that wrestling can teach more unique, um, applicable, necessary lessons relative to any other sport. And I believe that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that anyone, any you know, wrestler probably believes that. People outside of the sport don't believe it. But um, at least most of them don't. But if the longer that a kid stays in the sport, the more opportunity for lessons that they have you know, to learn, which means what? Which means that the return on that time and investment should be bigger and greater. So if you compound that, then yeah, that's one way to level up Virginia wrestling, I think, in the long term. Nice, nice. Any coaches you kind of that work with you on the village coaching or um, you know with Nova that you kind of partner, they might be, you know, competitors on the mat, but any that you kind of partner with or maybe yeah, they're your mentor or you mentor them. Um, well, I think in terms of one of my mentors and good friends, we're obviously not competitors, but, you know, Frank Beasley, uh, is a very, very close friend of mine. And, uh, we spend a lot of time together. I coach his son and I've learned, I'm learning a lot. I've learned a lot from him, especially about, I mean, I have immediate access. Like I can ask Frank anything about this recruiting stuff. And Frank is known to be right. the best recruiters in the country. 
um, in terms of other people that I, that I, that I love, that I have built great relationships with. And I learn a lot from, um, you know, sheer nature, WNL, Alex Ratsky, those guys are, are really phenomenal out there. Um, we've taken some kids on some visits out at Washington and Lee. And frankly, Washington and Lee is one of the best institutions in the United States of America. I mean, to be able to graduate from Washington and Lee uh, and have wrestled there for four years, um, talk about talk about separating yourself. I mean, good Lord, that's one way to do it. Um, so yeah, I, the, you know, Frank, I, I would say is, is 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 a good friend and a mentor and someone that I've, that I've learned a hell of a lot from what uh you know, one aspect you've I've, we just had him on uh, a few days ago you know class act I, I i don't even know how to describe but he you know he has his standards and he, he's holding his kids to those standards is there one aspect from his coaching that you kind of take away and instill in your program the biggest thing that i to answer that question directly, yes. Frank can see a kid for for what they can be and not what they are. He doesn't take shortcuts. Like he doesn't see a kid and it's like, oh, you know, that kid, you know, that kid sucks, that kid's whatever. Like if he believes that he can develop a kid, then he's he's gonna go all in on him. And that explains a lot of I mean, you could go through Frank's track record and him having recruited kids who kind of were under the radar to some degree or passed over a lot. And I mean, look at Gwizdowski. Right. He was passed over by Penn state. They said, we don't have any money for it. Um, I mean, he was a top recruit in the country, but like Frank saw things that he sees things that I think that other people don't see. And he sees the person he sees, um, and he plays the long game, which is something that we just don't I, don't, I don't think we do enough of in the sport right now of just playing the long game. Like all of the stories that we've had from a success standpoint who are just absolutely killing it right now. They're, they're on fire. They're in the best possible place they can be. They're, they're, they're wrestling. They're getting better. Some of whom are nationally ranked. Like we played the long game. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, you know, we see so many parents like, early on um, or even kids that get started late and they start playing these comparison games of like, oh, well, this kid. And it's one thing we always say is like, don't, you know, comparison is, is the devil. And like, mm-hmm. never, you are your own person. You right. are, your, you know, you're, you're as a parent and a, and a kid, like you are your own thing, you know, like mm-hmm. don't compare, don't compare, right? This is our, this is your journey, right? And um, that, that's like the, I think was a comparison is, is the, is the robber of joy steals yes. joy. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so true in this sport. We just constantly comparing each other or I just playing the long game. So I think those are the two things that Frank does really well is, um, that we've taken from him and that just really frankly aligned with what we believe, but playing the long game. Right. Long game for sure. And you know, those new wrestlers, they don't view where you need to go and just look how far you've come right you know some of these kids they start getting you know jumping levels and they they're worried about i'm not to this level yet well look how far you've come in six months look how far you've come in 12 months and you know it's it's a lot of perspective and it's easier said than done obviously um talking about the long game have you had any setbacks that kind of propelled you 
like setbacks from uh, just Co- any coaching, coaching, personal, anything that, you know, at the time, like, man, this is, you know, you felt down in the dumps and then, you know, fast forward. It's like, wow, I learned a lot from that situation. I think like the biggest one, honestly, um, was probably in year two. I just wasn't playing, like learned some hard lessons about playing the long game, learned some hard lessons about just being solely outcome oriented. And I tanked, like I literally, our culture just was in the absolute dumps. And I, it was very humbling. I think that the humbling experiences, I was thinking about this the other day as I was leaving mass um, about how painful it is to be humbled. Like how painful the process of basically humiliation Mm -hmm. is and how it hurts in various ways but how it's literally the best thing that can happen because it centers us into reality and it takes us like, if we're not living in reality and we're, you know, we're outside of ourselves and we're thinking that we're X, Y, and Z, like, it's obviously not a healthy place to be. It's not sustainable long-term. So if we're ever given a grace to be humbled and quote unquote, you know, basically humiliated, then, that's a huge grace and there's something to be grateful for in that. But yeah, that happens in year two. And basically what we had to do was, is, is learn how to really engineer a culture from, from the ground up. Like we had to really learn how to, how to build culture. Like, and that's our motto at Fairfax is fight for the culture because we put a lot of freaking sweat equity into it. A lot of tears into it. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of pain went into that. A lot of humiliation went into that. So it's kind of, that's, and it, the, the book on that, I think if anybody's like, well, engineering culture, engineering culture, what does that mean? I would say um, the best book for that right now, in my opinion, is John Gordon's You Win in the Locker Room First. Okay. And it talks about engineering culture. And we took that, and that's basically our Bible. Okay. So huh. I'll have to check that out. Haven't heard of that one. Um, so Fairfax, where, where are you guys at right now? Are you guys competing? What's, uh, what's the status of Virginia wrestling right now? Yeah, we're on. That's awesome. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. God willing, we, we were to finish. We got an opportunity this year. It's the first time since 1998 to have two state champs. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, one at one, uh, one at 182 and one at 195. Be a historic year for the program. Just got a new uh, uh, $50,000 wrestling room. Jeez, um, yeah. How'd that come was A lot of fighting, <laughs> a yeah. lot of scraping and scrapping, and a lot of uh, advocating a lot of, uh, a lot of work. Okay, cool, cool. So, um, is this a new facility or just a new part of the school that they put it in or what, what's new part of the school? Yeah, okay. it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. That's, uh, how, how new is that? Brand new. Brand new. That's, I had some guests earlier, early episodes. I always said, if you could build a wrestling room, what's the, what do you put in it? What's the first thing you put in it? So, so what building a brand new wrestling room, what, what did you have to put in it? Yeah, you know, I tell you, we're super blessed because I've had the opportunity to build two wrestling rooms. Okay. I was able to build one at Nova and one at Fairfax. So at, at Fairfax one's great. I mean, we got a lounge area with film. We've got a locker room. We've got coaches' offices. It's a phenomenal facility. But what we have at Nova, frankly, is in my opinion, is ridiculously unique. It's got an athlete enrichment center, so okay. we're able to. Um, you know, work with kids on, on, on their, you know, SAT, ACT work, 
the college admissions process, like before and after practice or things like that, which is a huge. Uh, so you have tutors there for them kind of, or kind of mm-hmm. administrators not, there for them or. Yeah. Not right now because of COVID, but uh-huh. in a normal year, yeah, there's tutors there. Um, tutors there three days a week. Oh, wow. That's huge. Yeah. I know I, I utilize the, the heck out of my tutors at Kent state. I mean, it's one of those things it's, it's like wrestling. You put the time in with, with your academics and what a difference a semester made for me. So that's pretty cool. You're doing that. How, how far is uh, Nova from Fairfax then the two facilities right across the street? Oh, geez. <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And it, you know, we, I look at this, right. And it's like, wow, that's an amazing resource. Amazing you know, money coming in. What the hell's going on? I mean, first of all, like we're in a, we're, we're in a very unique area. Um, there's a lot of money here. I'm not saying our kids have money, but the, the community and there's a lot of money in Northern Virginia. I mean, people to come, people come to Northern Virginia to change the world. You know, they come to, they come to DC to change the world. They come to DC to compete. They come to DC to make money, you know? And so the way that I saw this was um, I said, okay, well, if I can sell wrestling to these people, non-wrestling people, Mm -hmm. right. I'm not talking about people that are already invested in the sport. And this kind of goes back to what we're talking about with village coaching to a degree, Mm -hmm. but if, if we can sell wrestling to these people as a community investment that, Hey, look, if you write me a check for $10,000, I can show you and guarantee that that money is going to be a community investment. Um, in the sense that, that the kids and the infrastructure that you're investing in is going to cycle back that in 10 years, we will get a return on that that they'll be back in our community as a business leader, as a quality employee, as a teacher, as a coach, that they'll be doing something that makes us better because of that. Right. And because of wrestling. So I think that wrestling takes this traditional approach of like, Oh, we're just a little wrestling club. Will you give us some money, you know, and we're coming from a place of need Mm -hmm. and they're like, ah, whatever, man, I'll write you a hundred dollar check, you know, whatever. But we're, we're, we're bigger than that. Right. You know, like wrestling, I'm not talking about Nova, but mm-hmm. we have a lot to offer. Think about like what, I mean, again, what we've seen across the country, whether it's through village coaching and what, what, what I'm doing uh, with kids in this service, but we can uniquely, uh, we are a unique vehicle in that sense, because we actually can take a kid get them into college and have them cycle back through in a way that other sports cannot. Like, I don't think that there is another sport that can do that. Like we were talking about before, like basketball, football, you got to be genetically gifted. I mean, you got to have a legitimate uh, hand of cards. I mean, you got to, you got to get dealt a great hand of genetics. And sometimes in sports like lacrosse or golf or tennis, you got to have the funds to be able to do it. Um, Wrestling is unique in that way. And so, what I always say is that in terms of community change and generational change, and look, we're talking about the 21st century here. We're talking about developing, we're talking about what, what, what would incline someone to invest in a nonprofit in the 21st century, generational and community change. If wrestling is a vehicle for community change and that the more kids that we have go through the sport, come back and cycle through, it's going to make the community better long-term, then that's a worthwhile $10,000 investment. Mm-hmm. So, um, we see that as, as wrestling being the best vehicle for generational and community change overall. 
Right. I, I 100% agree. It's uh, you see it, these small schools, you see it, the big schools, the change that makes, uh, you know, for these kids that don't have other sports, you know, they're not, you know, gifted with size or speed, you know, wrestling, it's just, it takes work ethic. Right. And um, you put some resources behind that athlete and they start believing in themselves and go wrong a long way. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a brand new room. Got to build two rooms. Not many coaches can say that. Right. And have a, a club across the street from their own, own high school program. Um, you know, selling, promoting wrestling, any thoughts on the new, you know, promotion of the sport, you know, selling the sport, uh, any thoughts on that? Oof. Um, <laughs> without going down a rabbit hole, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's cool that these athletes are getting paid. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, my, my vestment, my belief, my firepower and interest is not in regional training centers okay i could give a rat's ass excuse my language (laughs) about regional training centers okay i think that an argument could be made that regional training centers are slowly um deteriorating college programs um and How, how so on that well i mean if if i've got half a million dollars in an unregulated entity outside of my college wrestling program, but I've only got $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars in that program. And I'm not endowed. Um, and maybe I don't even have 9.9 scholarships, but I've got 500 grand or maybe more quarter million in this unregulated entity that's affiliated with my school, but not affiliated with my school. And then a, pres- a, a, a university president looks at that and they're like, hmm, that's interesting. What other college sport, like, look, I'm not, I just think it's interesting in terms of what other college sport has something like this? I mean, it's, it has a, an unregulated entity that's like part of their program, but not part of their program. There's no financial oversight over it um it's not not, has boost right the they have booster clubs right a lot of these football and basketball right same concept yes yeah sure i think i think what what i look at it as is how is it you know the fundamental question here i think that to just kind of line it up because it's a very controversial statement and a lot of people look at me and they're like you're nuts that's stupid that's a very stupid line of reasoning well here's my question right that we could flesh out is how is it contributing to the university athletic department and what value is the athletic director, the board of visitors, and the university president getting out of it? Is there any value that's reciprocated? If not, and they see it as, well, my wrestling program, you know, is, is a financial liability, but they have all this money over here. Um, you know, whatever, it's a lot easier to probably cut the program. And I think we've seen that. Look, I mean, we've seen ODU and Fresno State just get cut recently. And of course, Stanford, how much money did they have in their RTCs versus how much they had in their school bank accounts or their school athletic department accounts? You know, I'm probably going to get roasted for this, but I think it's a worthwhile question. And I don't mind going against the grain and at a minimum asking the questions. Right. So in terms of the new stuff coming out with the cards, I think it's great. I think it's cool. I think it's awesome to see, um, you know, the, the platforms that are coming out. 
that are showcasing wrestling is phenomenal. But for me, um, I'm far more interested in the sustainability of college wrestling programs and, um, and their access. That's where my interest is in. Yeah, I think in the long run, I, I get your argument. I don't know. I don't have all the facts in front of me of in figures, but I think of the long run, I don't know. I think there's something there with RTCs and these, um, you know, MMA gyms, you know, we're, we're already seeing these mm. crossovers, right. But Sterling and RBY, you know, people, you mm. know, it's kind of funny the early days of USC where you take a wrestler or you take a, you know, this mix and then they mash them together and see what happens. Now it's, you know, taking people out of their skill set and putting them other sports. Uh, we know they need the same training facilities, right. They're ultimate combat athletes. Um, mm gets it away from universities, right? We're not relying on those universities. Um, you have a coach training you, and then you have an outlet for these guys once they're done wrestling. All right, now I'm going to get into grappling or I'm getting into, you know, MMA or whatever it may be. But uh, I don't know. I think there's something there, you know, to bridge that. We know that financial gap, gap is a big one, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's that point, like you're saying about the, um, you know, the, the crossover there um, and say, you know, mixed martial arts, money that's in that right now you know becoming a a next step and rtc's working with those you know that cross train could be really unique could be really special i mean we have the top level coaches i i think i would think mm -hmm. in these uh combat sports that we can offer these insight to these these other athletes i don't know i think there's something there obviously like you mentioned you know the big big programs have those deep bank accounts so it's you know people say it's an unfair advantage you know or the other side of the coin is, okay, they're propping up that institution because now they can offer more coaching. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I get your point and I don't have an answer. I don't have a, a take or anything on it right now, but there's definitely, I think we're, I think flushing this out, right. With COVID because of these cards and athletes being paid, right. Who would have thought, you know, you know, four years ago, Jordan Burroughs would be getting paid, you know, more for a couple cards than he would for an Olympic gold. Right. It's pretty, pretty mm -hmm. wild. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Right. I think we're uh, yeah. wrestling fans are winning. I think overall, right. You can turn, turn on the TV and see some of these top level athletes compete, you know, any given night. Right. And uh, turn on the TV, turn on the computer and watch a replay within, within minutes. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anything, uh, any, anyone we need to have on that you, you think we should have on? Uh, I know you mentioned, we, we talked, you, said we should have coach Beasley on we, we just recorded with him anyone else you think we should have on have you guys had Nate on yet yeah Nate was uh I think show two or three very early oh show. he's early yeah. on yeah he's an early I one I was gonna say yeah, yeah I tell you who I think would be a, a good one too yeah I, I love Nate I love his philosophy I love what he does I love I love you know I just I, I love him as a coach I would trust any of my kids mm -hmm. under Nate all day long Keith Norris at Johns Hopkins is a very um, okay. He's he's a he is a, a he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's got a very unique setup over there. Does some really cool stuff. Keith Norris um, um, is 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 really good. Of course, him and Nate are always battling for basically the same recruits every year. It seems okay. You no, know, like because of the academic prestige of the schools, but. Um, uh, we had coach yeah, Gibson on too. VMI, we had him on. I forget what number that was. We had him on. Yeah, yeah I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy also. You guys got a, okay. like you said, a lot of great coaches down that way. It's pretty cool. I talked with uh, Coach Yetzer to get him on. 
I mentioned he was up this way in Sandusky uh, last summer. So we've been talking, you know, we keep in touch. So, um, okay. So Keith Norris, okay. I'll have to, I'll have to reach out to him and see what, uh, see what he has to say. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I know going against the grain there, I'm, I'm interested to see if, uh, what the pushback's going to be on the, uh, the RTC comment. <laughs> well, those conversations need to be had though. Right. Um, you know, what, what are the pros of this, of we go this angle, what, what's the pros here? What's the, the cons if we go this way? And, you know, those are the conversations that need to be had. And, um, you know, who would have thought we'd be having these, you know, conversations in 2020 and, you know, what's it going to look like in 2025 and, you know, um, mm. there's money and eyeballs behind the sport. Right. Um, yeah, that's another sure. thing too. You throw on these cards, you know, the RB, RBY, now we're bringing in some MMA eyeballs, right? Going to hopefully be a bigger financial, um, you know, income for that, that match. Um, so, um, anyway, anything else you want to ask, share, or tell? You know, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm available, uh, you know, uh, parents, wrestlers, um, high school, you know, specifically high school, uh, parents and wrestlers, uh, feel free to reach out to me you can go on the website, village coaching.com and just schedule a free hour mm. consultation. And I can answer any questions that you have, um, you know, during that hour and we can see whether or not, uh, the services that I'm offering are a, uh, appropriate, a good fit for your, for your family. And if they are, then, you know, we'll, we can start the process and, um, you know, determine whether, how to proceed, but I'm, I'm, I'm free for, you can basically go on the website and we can go on the website and just schedule, like there's a calendar on there and schedule a call with me and uh, more than happy to, to connect with you, whether or not they end up, uh, whether or not they end up, you know, uh, buying the services or not, uh, more than happy to help them however I can. So um, at what age should parents start reaching out? And, you know, whether it's to you or other, you know, services or what, what age do you think they should be, you know, starting that process? You know, I have a, I have an eighth, eighth grade daughter right now, you know, and she's talking what she wants to do, you know, not athletically, she's talking academically what she wants to do and what she eventually wants to do. But what, you know, from your experience, at what age should they start at least exploring and, and what, what are some of those milestones? Okay. By junior year, this freshman year. Um, they need, and the reason why I say freshman year is because the weight of the transcript is, is the number one currency. Uh, that's the, that's a kid's biggest currency in college admissions is their, is their transcript. And that starts right out of the gate. Okay. So, um, if a kid is, is capable and ready to, for some rigorous courses, uh, they need to have that rigor, you know, on that, in that transcript. Uh, and there's a lot of decisions you know, that need to be made in that, a lot of variables in that, especially with the, with, the, with the transition from middle school to high school. But really planning that transcript out, really doing some proactive planning on the transcript. Um, and and the, the exploration process, I mean, the transcript, that's the number one currency. But the exploration process as a kid evolves through high school. Um, being proactive about their interests, being proactive about and curious really is what I would say. Curiosity is king right. because 
a kid and, and encouraging the curiosity. If the kid's like, hey, I'm thinking about being an architect, and the parent's like, what the, what the heck are you talking about? You want to be an architect? Let, just let them, let them flow. Let them be like water with their curiosity. If they're thinking, oh, I might you know, want to go to military school or whatever, just let them flow. You know, right. let them flow, let them flow. And the main thing that really just needs to be monitored heavily from freshman year on really is, is that transcript and uh, want to see as much rigor as possible. Yeah. That, that curiosity. I, I agree. And one thing I mentioned to the kids too, is figure out what you don't want. You know, you might think like you said, architect or whatever it may be, you know, go see what it's about. You get in there, you might think you want to do this and you peel back and see behind the scenes it's, that's not exact that's not at all what yeah. i thought it was going to be and then all right check that off that's not what i want to do right right but um it, yeah. I, I think i think that there's there's a couple other you know little little things here too i think the biggest indicator um for just readiness for wrestling at the next level uh from what i've you know the data points that we've gathered and the, the anecdotal data points that we've gathered is uh, intrinsic motivation. You know, how much does a kid really love it? You know, it, it, uh, really on a scale from one to 10, how much they really love it? You know, right. is this it, how, really, how much is this is theirs? Like, is it really theirs? Right. It's their experience because that separation from, you know, whenever they go off to college and mom and dad are home and they're away, if it's not fully theirs, it's not going to work. A fall on um, its face, you know, right? Yeah, it's just not going to last. So uh, that's that's a really big one. But the other thing that we do a lot of is coaching the parents. Like we just don't coach the kids in this process. We do a lot of parent coaching as well because there's been numerous circumstances. Um, you can talk to any college coach about this and they'll tell you like, I talked to this dad and this dad was like, this dad was, was off his rocker. And like, I don't, heard want, those stories. <laughs> I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that family. Like right. the kid's nice and stuff. Like I don't want to deal with him for four or five years. So he's off. Right. Uh, and some of these parents don't realize they come to the table with great intentions, but they can actually ruin opportunities for their child mm -hmm. for sure. hundred percent. Um, so coaching them through that and parent coachability through that process is a big one. Um, and parents acknowledging like, Hey, I, I know what I don't know and uh, I need some help. And that's where we, we come in and, and really work with them. Cool. Cool. Now, thanks. That, that's a great point. And great, uh, great perspective too. It's um, a lot more to it than people think. So, oh, yeah. Well, well yeah. thanks for your time. I'm, you know, I was looking forward to this. You know, like I said, we've been talking for a few weeks and definitely, uh, definitely a, a fun conversation and very inform informative. So thank you. Absolutely, man. Appreciate everything you're doing for the sport. And, uh, you know, we, we need more uh, quality content and getting, you know, ideas and conversations and perspectives and value out there to the wrestling community. So people like yourself who are leading that charge and, and doing it because you love it and, and it's one of one of the many ways that you give back to the sport of wrestling and um, it's appreciated. Yeah. Well, thanks coach. Talk soon. Yeah, man.